I was trying to figure out as I was sitting there why I was so nervous this morning. And I realized it's because this is my first time um, preaching in a, in a church that is, that is not my own church and, uh, and not on Zoom. <laughs> so uh, that means that if you guys don't like it, uh, you, you can throw tomatoes at me. Um, and if I try to run away, I have to trip down the stairs first. So slightly higher risk. So I think that's, uh, I think that's what's going on. But anyways, without, uh, without further ado. <laughs> um, the passage today in Mark uh, was one that I expect most of us are, are probably pretty familiar with, you know, it's this, it's this classic, it's this, big, it's this big Jesus move, you know. Someone comes up, what's the greatest commandment? And he's like, I'll tell you two, right? Um, and most of us have probably heard this a lot, right? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my experience of this over the years has, has been kind of interesting in that Jesus says these are the greatest commandments. He says this is the, the first one, right? What's the greatest commandment? And he answers the guy's question. And then he says, well, and then let me tell you about another one too, right? And the first one in my experience, often kind of gets overlooked. And so, I think I've heard, I've probably even taught before, um, that this second commandment is kind of the key to unlocking the first commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we love God. These commands, they're given together because they work together. And that's true. That's absolutely true. That's why I've taught it before. <laughs> but it's not the whole truth. Sometimes we can kind of dissolve the greatest commandment into the second one. And that's kind of a weird thing to do with the greatest thing. You don't normally dissolve the, the best thing into the second best thing. I don't know, maybe, maybe you do when you're making soup or something. Is salt better than broth? I don't know. But I'll leave that to you, people who are better cooks than me. But there's something about this, this sequence of commandments, that there is a greater commandment and a second commandment. And they are meant to help each other work, right? You can't, you can't love God without loving your neighbor. That's, that's the point. That's the point that Jesus makes. But you also can't really love your neighbor without loving God, because there's these two commands that are still separate things, but they're inseparable. They're intertwined. They help each other to work, but they're not just one thing. Nobody, you know, in this kind of situation would think, I'm going to love my neighbor and I'm not going to love God. That would be unthinkable because it's the greatest, it's the greatest commandment. Okay, so what's the point? What am, I, what am I trying to do here? What's, yeah, what's this all about? Well, I think, I think the point is in the first part, 
the first part of this first commandment. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Well, every good Jew knows that the greatest commandment does not begin with love the Lord your God. It begins with hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, of course, Jesus is not just making this up on the fly, right? He's quoting Deuteronomy. And if you were to crack open your Bible to Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, you'd see the same thing. See that same line, same commandment. But you'd see the word Lord in all capitals. That's how Bibles pretty well universally are printed. And as you might well know, but even as those of us who know often forget or just kind of don't pay much attention to, it's in all capitals because that it's the word Lord isn't actually the word in the original text. There's a name there. But since ancient times, the name of the Lord has been considered so holy that we don't want to say it too often. And so, even in writing, it's been written as this other word, Lord, in all capitals, as a, as a shorthand or a nickname, as a way of just making sure we don't profane this holy name. Now, a fun little result of this is uh, we don't actually know the name of the Lord anymore because nobody ever says it. Um, and the original language was written without vowels, uh, so we just have the consonants and we're just kind of guessing at what it actually is. Our best guess is something like Yahweh. But the interesting thing to me here is that even if we don't really actually know 100% what the name of the Lord is anymore, the Lord's got a name. And in the command that Jesus quotes, the first and greatest commandment, that name shows up three times. It is this God that the Israelites are commanded to love. This one. This particular one who has a name. Not the other named gods vying for their attention because they all knew there were other gods. If you're walking around, you know, Waterloo or Kitchener these days, you might end up in a conversation with somebody, I mean, I don't know how you'd end up in a conversation like this, to be perfectly honest, but you might, where somebody says, hey, do you believe in God, right? A do you believe in God conversation. And that's kind of the question that people, when it comes to religious or spiritual things, that's kind of the question, do you believe in God? And then, depending on the answer, people are like, okay, we're kind of on the same page, right? In the ancient world, in, you know, when Deuteronomy was going on, that's not the question. Nobody would think about that question. That's kind of a dumb question. It's which God? Which one is your God? Maybe, maybe what's that God like? What has that God been up to? What have they done, you know? And of course, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's often the answer. But it's which God? It's not do you believe in God, right? These are kind of these different worlds with different kinds of questions. There is, there's, a, there's no assumption that uh, if we believe in God, we're even talking about the same thing. We don't have a philosophical definition of God back in, in Deuteronomy. We just have a person, or maybe a someone would be a better way of putting that. 
God is saying all the time, don't love those other gods, love me. I'm not just some God, I'm this one, I'm this one. The name of Jesus himself means Yahweh is salvation. We tend to think of God as something. We sometimes even ask, you know, what is God? And that seems like a fair question. You know, is he some, he or, or she or it, some divine impersonal force out there? Maybe something very near, you know, some kind of energy or spirit of nature, something of which we're all kind of a part. But first century Jews and ancient Jews knew full well that God isn't something. God is someone. And God has a name. God isn't something. God is someone and someone worth loving and worth getting to know. Mark 135 mentions that Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark to go off, be by himself, and pray. Luke 5.16 says that Jesus would often slip away to deserted places to be alone and pray. Jesus knew the first commandment, and he demonstrates it to us. He demonstrates that God isn't something. God is someone worth knowing and worth loving. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray ceaselessly, like all the time. I haven't figured that one out. Somebody let me know, by the way, if you ever figure that one out. In the next verse, he gives the reason for that. Because this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for us in Christ Jesus to pray ceaselessly. See, the early Christians also knew that God is someone worth loving. So we read Psalm 146 today, and I'd like to read it to you again. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, O my soul. I will praise Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh, their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets the prisoners free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise Yahweh. This is who our God is. The one who was the God of Jacob, 
the one who created, who is faithful, who aids the oppressed, feeds the hungry, sets prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, takes care of strangers, orphans, and widows, the one who reigns forever. Sounds like somebody worth knowing. As you go today, as you reflect on your week, and as you prepare for the week to come, I encourage you to consider how you might love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, alongside loving your neighbor, in addition to loving your neighbor, as a partner act to loving your neighbor. Because this God is someone worth knowing and someone worth loving. So here, O church, the Lord our God, the Lord is someone.